Hey, this is Rob, and this is episode 64 of the Folly Coffee Podcast. Let's get it brewing. In this mobile episode on the new mobile setup, I sat down with Ross Jett, owner of Second State Coffee in Charleston, South Carolina. They've been open for nine years, originally opening as Black Tap Coffee, uh, which is a cafe, and then they shifted two years later to roasting. Here is his story. Enjoy. Okay, we're now recording. Hello. <laughs> hey. <laughs> I'm here with Ross Jett, owner of Second State Coffee here in Charleston, South Carolina. We were just catching up about kind of the scene here. And I pointed out that's really interesting that like the food drink scene in Charleston is like it's banging. Like there are like restaurants. You hear about Husk on the national level. But just the food scene here is insane. And as, as I was looking into the, the coffee scene, I'm like, there's not that many high-end coffee roasters doing what you're doing. And so you, you started, you said nine years ago. Right. How did you get your start into coffee originally as Black Tap? What led you to want to start a coffee business in the first place? Yeah, so right after college, I moved out to California and worked for a company that did renewable energy projects all over the state. And I was in sort of a sales role with that job. And so I got to travel to to all the, the big cities in California and the smaller ones, but every time I would go into a city, um, I was hooked on like trying the best coffee shop or the best cafe around. And at that time, sort of in the 2010, 11 period, like a lot of the, the newer third wave coffee places were, were just sort of lifting off the ground. Um, Blue Bottle and Four Barrel, Sight Glass uh, were sort of the big three in in the Bay Area there. Um, And then I had a local shop up near Sacramento where I lived that did Verve. um, And they they did a a great job with it. Um, So I just loved going into these places and uh, experiencing not only the coffee, but sort of the culture that was created around it. Um, So... When it was when it came time that in my own career where I was looking for a change in things, like I I had already sort of jokingly kicked around the idea with with a couple of my college roommates that that hey we should one day we should open a coffee shop together. Yeah, that's like the classic in coffee. You're like we should open a, sh- a coffee shop. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's 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 totally the the fallback career for <laughs> for whatever you're doing um, and. We, I, I sort of coincidentally, like one of my other college roommates at the time, he was he was working up in D.C., worked for a congressman for a couple of years, and then worked for a healthcare lobbying firm for another year. And he was he was totally burned out of the D.C. politico life, and uh, he was looking for a change as well. And um, we we both decided, hey, let's let's do this crazy thing. We're single, we're unattached, and. Um, Let's let's actually do this thing. How'd you decide on Charleston as a location to open it up? Um, so I had a friend down here who was going to grad school for historic preservation, and I had never been to Charleston before. And he persuaded us to just just come down and check it out because because we were sort of kicking around the idea of New York City or Miami or one of the bigger East Coast cities. Um, we were we were totally open ended as to where we would choose to open up. A place, uh, but he 
he told us to, to come check out Charleston and, and we did and loved it. We, we loved that it was near the beach. We loved that it was, uh, could see very quickly that it was a food city, like you were saying mm-hmm. earlier. And, um, and just it, it had all the cool cosmopolitan things that any city has packed into sort of a smaller city. So, and so, so you decide on Charleston. What's like your next move? How do you decide where to locate within Charleston? Like the cafe versus roasting, branding, all of that. Like, what are your first moves and deciding? Like, all right, we're going to do it here. Now what? Yeah. So I mean, one of my other. Um, roommates from college was from the Beaufort area his family was and so he had connections to like people that knew the area more intimately than we did and his one of his family friends was in commercial real estate down here and was really helpful in advising us uh, where where a good spot in town would would be to not just commercially viable but also like affordable enough for for some kids who are really just out of college to to open this thing so what was it like when you first opened because like i'm having this cup of coffee like definite third wave style light roasted a lot of bright acidity how was it when you opened is was it warmly received or is it a lot of education that has to happen because in just looking at the scene here there's not many roasters doing the third wave style in charleston yeah um so it definitely, the scene when we got here definitely was uh, not what I was seeing out in San Francisco or LA or even, well, San Diego at the time was a little dead zone, but I know it's uh, robustly developed now, but um, it, it wasn't like that here in Charleston. Um, there were a lot of counterculture shops, counterculture, Stumptown, Intelligentsia, those were sort of the the big three specialty roasters. Like the first the wave of the third wave. Right, exactly. <laughs> so there, there was definitely a counterculture presence down here. The, a couple uh, Intelli shops and maybe one Stumptown spot. Um, so that was here, but uh, there was really no local uh, presence uh, for, for roasting. Um, and we, we weren't that out of the gates. Mm-hmm. We, we used counterculture as our anchor roaster out of the gates. And it wasn't until like two years into it that we realized like, hey, there's a great opportunity for a local specialty roaster. So when you started, you weren't roasting your own coffee. Right. That's like, that was the advice that was given to me when I was kind of concepting out Folly was, which... Again, if you're listening, there's a Folly Beach here. So, every, like when I'm visiting, people are like, "Oh, so you're from here?" I'm like, "No, it's Folly Coffee in Minnesota." And it confuses <laughs> people. Like, but uh, the advice I was given is like, if you're if you want to do a shop and a roaster, like you should do one or the other first because those are two entirely different businesses. For sure. What was it like when you're two years in with the cafe to start the roasting program? How did you decide who, who's doing the roasting? What do you like? What machine are you using? Where are you roasting? And just choosing the coffees that you're roasting. Yeah, so I mean, it it was very much like starting its own new business. Uh, two years into it. it, there's not many like crossovers between operating a coffee shop or a cafe and operating a roasting facility. Um, I was very fortunate, and still very, am very fortunate to have excellent people who work with us and work for us. Um, and I had some, some longtime coffee veterans who started out on the barista side who really were pursuing the knowledge of how to roast, just didn't have the equipment yet. And um, there's also a good green coffee importing uh family in town called the Balzac brothers um, who have been in business for over 100 years and they sort of 
they had an old uh, 15 kilo uh, probat that they allowed us to sort of play around on <laughs> um, and so that that allowed us to like start getting the broad concepts of roasting um, without committing to putting it in our cafes or wholesaling it to anybody so we were sort of able to work the kinks out of like how to roast on that before we actually took the plunge and purchased our own equipment and um, rented our own facility to roast in. So two years in, were you at, how many shops were you at? Were you at one? Just one. Just one? Yeah. And how many do you have now? So, Because uh, I was a little confused when you're like, let's meet a broom wagon cop. Yeah. I was like, okay, don't. <laughs> yeah. So um, it took us six and a half years before we ever opened a second one. Um, and then we had the opportunity this year to purchase Broom Wagon Coffee. And we are actually in the midst of opening a fourth one um, out in Mount Pleasant as well. So this, this year has sort of snowballed on us <laughs> as a, in a good way. So Nine years into it. So this is something I'm thinking about. It's like we're approaching year three. And I'm like, if, I don't know if it feels like 15 years or like a month. How does it feel nine years into it? Do you feel like you've been around for a while or does it still feel really new to you? Uh, it, it feel, both simultaneously <laughs> is the, the quick way to answer that because it, it does seem like yesterday that we were just opening. And I've, I've been very fortunate to have some of the same employees since that early time. So in that respect, it seems like a blink of an eye that we started things. But then... I'll see someone who's moved out of the area and I will have forgotten them until they come back in and visit Charleston and see me across the counter. And it's like, yeah, I actually, they, I moved out of the area six years ago and I'm like, Oh goodness, <laughs> time is flying here. Yeah. Especially this year. They're like, I haven't seen you for six months. I was like, no, that's, that was a couple of weeks ago. I'm pretty right. sure. What's it been like once you launched the roasting program to be able to, because this is something I can't imagine because we're wholesale coffee. We do weekend tastings and tours, which is like we have a staff of like six and I'm like have to schedule one day a week and it stresses me out. What's it like starting a roasting program and still managing the cafe side? How do you split out that responsibility and what's it been like kind of managing really two separate businesses in the coffee world? Yeah. Um, so as we've grown, uh, it definitely has been an exercise in delegation to to employees. I, I love to promote from within whenever possible and I've been able to successfully do that in most cases and at each stage in our growth as a company. and. My choice to grow has always been based on the people that I have or don't have. Like, if I don't feel like I'm in a great place with staffing and have good, like, reliable people, I'm not going to expand. But, like, I, I do have that right now, and that's why I'm choosing to expand. Um, but being, being the owner, I sort of have to oversee all of that, tie it together, and try to make a cohesive company and culture from that and and that is my challenge every single day that i come into work here what's the coffee scene like in charleston because i was mentioning earlier as i'm like looking up that's like oh i want to check out some shops i want to check out some roasters i was the big surprise i was like for such like a seemingly foodie town there's not a huge presence of the high-end specialty coffee what's it been like since you started nine years ago to where you are now has it changed a lot yeah um I, w I would say there is more awareness from the consumer side about specialty coffee and um, even 
brands that people enjoy in other cities when they come to visit here they they talk about those brands and so uh, overall the the coffee market nationally has has become more recognizable for its specialty coffee but here in Charleston um, there there are only a very small handful of people doing a specialty uh, roast roasting um, at the end of the day Charleston is a smaller city mm. that sort of punches above its weight class and and food and dining um, but it's it's also very tourist driven so yeah. um, it it can feel busier uh, it can it can certainly feel very sleepy when there's a national crisis like covid <laughs> or uh, a hurricane that's coming through that empties the town out of the tourists and stuff like that so um, but there it is a very small scene on the coffee side relative to some of the other cities i've i've visited <laughs> this is going to be a stupid question, but weather obviously affects coffee drinking patterns. I'm like trying to think of a more clever way to ask this, but in Minnesota, obviously like hot coffee drives through the winter. Like that's a completely what you hang your hat on is you have to drive hot coffee sales during the winter. What's it like in a place that doesn't get terribly cold at any point between like selling your cold side of the program versus the hot side? Right. Um, obviously, iced coffee does move a lot down here especially in the summer months um in the summer months it it is weird in charleston because there really is no winter and fall just is sort of last six or seven months of it it's it's the dreary season more than it is fall or winter yeah this brutal 65 to 70 degrees (laughs) is just it's so difficult (laughs) yeah yeah exactly um but I would say around daylight savings time is when people switch to hot drinks. So I, I would say it's it's more based on the uh, the seasonal sun cycle than it is like any sort of warmth or coolness. Um, but we obviously being in the south do move a lot of cold drinks, mm-hmm. but um, people do tend to switch to hot drinks this time of year and until like early March. And with your coffee program. I'm looking at at least six or seven different like blends and origins right now. How are you choosing which coffees you're sourcing? How often do you rotate? And like, what what are you looking for in coffees that you're sourcing? Yeah, so uh, freshness uh, relative to harvest date and um, is is like so we we the food scene down here is very farm to table, seasonal focused. Um, organic regenerative when possible and like i'm trying to bring the same sort of approach to uh sourcing coffee and being in a port city like charleston we have the advantage that we can get that green coffee right into the port so it comes fresh off the boat um so we're able to get that in and uh drive up to uh the the port and pick it right off the boat essentially so um that that is an advantage about being in Charleston, but uh, our particular approach to, to sourcing green is like always seasonal, like what's what's being harvested and shipped to the U.S. right now. And uh, from there, we're always uh, sample roasting and cupping and figuring out uh, what what's on the next horizon. We're we're trying to buy typically for for that three to six month inventory window mm-hmm. for any particular coffee, um, and then there's always the fun micro lots that we'll buy that we might only have in stock for three or four weeks. Um, so I, I do try to pay attention to, to freshness and uh, how that coffee is like 
harvested and packaged and uh, with an eye towards like always towards freshness. What is it going to be like with the retail season coming up? Because this is something like last year we we did a holiday coffee for the first time, literally just on a whim. And <laughs> I was like, oh, we should focus on this more. But with the holidays coming up and your new launch of your new branding, what kind of thought process are you putting into like the retail aspect of holiday coffee and online ordering? And how much of a shift in focus do you have on like seasonality versus just like keeping up with orders as they come in? Yeah. Um, so as you alluded to there, like the holiday season is a chance for like, uh, not only your typical coffee drinking clientele to buy coffee, but it, it sort of opens up the scope of who's going to buy coffee from you at that time of year. Cause people are buying for gifts and people have family in town and they want to host people and know that they can accommodate them with on the on the caffeine side at their home so they're coming in and asking questions about your coffee and and all that stuff so like we we do really ramp up on the retail side this time of year and uh, try to try to have something on the menu that can fit the bill for for any given person that might walk in yeah so if I'm a customer and I walk in and I'm like Oh, I've got this cousin. He's really into coffee. I know nothing about coffee, but I just know he likes really good coffee. And I read about you. What should I get him? What are you recommending for someone? I mean, to be on the safe side, I typically for for that type of person where there's a lot of unknowns, um, <laughs> I, I'll I'll steer them towards a single origin coffee. But I'll usually stay in the the Central South American mm-hmm. wash process um, coffees that are that are gonna like be something that my dad might drink, but also be something that, uh, my cousin might be excited about. So, yeah. Um, but if I can get, I always try to like drill down into the details when someone's asking about coffees and really try to hone in on, on what, what they enjoy. And if, if they're the typical third wave customer who's excited about anything new and weird and funky, like, uh, that's, that's what I might, uh, go for that crazy red honey process or or the fun natural coming out of Costa Rica or Ethiopia and uh, so it really depends on how much information I'm able to glean from the customer wanting that and with Charleston being such a food centric town and some just amazing restaurants and cafes what was it like in launching and starting to go out and kind of test the waters for hey we're roasting coffee now and finding wholesale partners was that something you were able to find people because it's like a foodie town or did you really have to like convince because we were talking a little bit before we got started of the difficulty of like i used to do beer sales and if i have to sell someone a beer i'm convincing them to either switch a draft line or just carry a new bottle whereas with coffee you have to walk into someone's restaurant or cafe and be like, hey, I know how you've been doing things. I need you to completely switch over your entire coffee program to our beans. And here's why. It's because it tastes way better. What was that like in going out? Right. Um, so that, I, I would say the wholesale side of the business definitely took time to develop as well. Um, we've had much more luck with places that are going to open up as opposed to switching someone off of the way they've been doing things uh, in coffee. Because coffee's unlike wine or beer where you can open that bottle and have the experience that the brewery or winery wanted you to have out of that bottle. Coffee requires that uh, sort of localized expertise. Uh, the water you're using in making that coffee has a big influence. The, the grinder, the equipment, all that stuff influences the experience that 
that potential account might have with the coffee. And, and for some restaurants and stuff that where coffee is on the menu, but only as an afterthought, like <laughs> uh, it's, it, it can be intimidating um, for them to think about all those sort of ups and extras, which, which might lead to an optimal experience. So that's the crazy thing is that coffee is like so frequently within restaurants, just an afterthought of like, Oh shit, we need some coffee. Uh, I guess, which distributor are we working with? Like, what do they have? Okay. We'll just carry that. And for me, it's like, if you have an amazing meal and the last thing you decide to have is a cup of coffee or a shot of espresso, and that is like just overly roasted dark bitter espresso or coffee and that's the last thing you taste when you leave i'm like this should be like the crowning moment of the entire meal <laughs> as you finish and walk out the door and uh it is interesting coming to a town that's like known for food and seeing that it's like oh there's still like coffee is still in my mind kind of underdeveloped in this area and to know you've been around for nine years and still facing these challenges is like so interesting to me because it's something like uh, coming from the west coast you probably saw it that's like coffee on the menu just restaurants you know which coffee it is you know who the roaster is if you ask the server what am i drinking they know and then you get outside of the west coast and they're like you go to any restaurant and ask them hey what coffee do you serve it's always like uh i think it's like an organic blend or something <laughs> so it's like trying to walk in these restaurants and yeah. convince them is, right. is really interesting yeah it's definitely taken time um and i will say that like with time comes sort of cross-pollination of, of people and ideas. And as, as some staff from a restaurant uh, that served us leaves and goes to another restaurant, they might take the coffee program with them. So like over time, it, uh, we've, we've been able to develop alongside the food programs of a lot of the restaurants and cafes in the city. Um, so it's it's been a, a labor a lot of push process yeah. uh, but as time has worn on we've we've had some pull process too where people are reaching out to us and asking so it, it definitely takes time um, and it takes a lot of uh, it just uh, there there is a corollary in the cafe coffee shop environment of like you want to like please every single customer that comes in there uh, and you develop that relationship or that reputation one customer at a time totally the same thing on the wholesale side um you've you've got to develop relationships with the servers with the managers and um you got to be there at the drop of a dime to service their broken equipment or get them beans when they forgot to order on a friday evening and um it's it's just it's all about service at the end of the day so let's nerd out on coffee stuff on the side in terms of having multiple shops is always something that's intriguing to me and getting consistency of the coffee that you're serving uh, how is the water in Charleston? Is that something you have to factor for uh, to make sure that like your different shops are serving the same cup of coffee from a water profile? Side? Totally, totally. Um, the, the, the water in Charleston City is actually really good for brewing coffee. Uh, that being said, we to achieve consistency from place to place to place, uh, paying attention to water is definitely something I it's on my radar. And... Um, I, I think the solution I am uh, committing to is uh, I, we work with a company called Global Cups Customized Water uh, that essentially is able to like strip down to a certain baseline of mineral content and then add back in to achieve a consistent profile from place to place to place. Um, 
because I I this sort of first came to, onto my radar because our coffee and my roasting facility and my downtown shops was tasting very different than my coffee shop over in Mount Pleasant and because they were on different water systems and running through different pipes and stuff like I we had the same exact equipment same exact roast dates uh, everything being the same except for the water and that was uh, the culprit. So uh, water, water is everything when it comes to consistency. It's always such a clear indicator of like really good coffee shops when you ask about water and it's never just like, what do you mean? <laughs> That's the answer. I love to hear That's It's such like a, it's interesting because I live in just west of Minneapolis in uh, St. Louis Park and the water's super, super hard. And I, when I first moved there, I like wasn't thinking about it, was brewing the co- our coffees. And I was like, why do all of our coffees taste off right now or just different or weird? And uh, that's got to be something that's difficult to achieve across different coffee shops that like the, the water is something that's so important to brew a really great cup of coffee and like consistency across the board to make sure that like if you're charging a premium for really great coffee, like it's got to taste the same. And uh, I just noticed in this Rwandan that I had like that bright acidity. I think you can only achieve that when like the water is very attentively cared for because that acidity can turn really sour or off or like bitter if it's not really closely being attended to. And um, I, 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 yeah, a little bit of a side tangent there. But so you literally just purchased, as I walk in today to order this coffee, Yeah, I was like, what are y'all serving? They're like, well, we just started serving here like a couple days ago. So here's what we have as we're switching over. How did you decide, how do you decide like when it's the right time to purchase a shop or to add a new location? Is that something you plan ahead for? Or is that something that like when opportunities arise, you're ready for it? Or is it completely unexpected? Um, well, this this location, Broomwagon Coffee, was an entirely unexpected thing that happened this year. Uh, the previous owners, uh, just with COVID going on, they had two younger children, and they were owners and operators. Uh, and with the kids being out of school, home from school, but not old enough to take care of themselves yet, it, owning and operating a coffee shop as well as schooling your children, taking care of them, uh, was just a very tough task. So uh, they knew they needed to make a pivot and they reached out to us and uh, they felt like we were the the only stewards in town who would uh, take care of their coffee shop as they would want it to be taken care of. Um, so there was an opportunity that I did not foresee coming along this year. Um, in general, though, like how I decide when and where to expand, um, I, I always wait for uh, to feel like I have really good staff who um, is committed to us and responsible and passionate about what they do. Uh, it's, it's all about having having that staff to be able to successfully expand and for me as an owner to successfully delegate uh, responsibilities. What are you evaluating in terms of like a location? Because I I know that obviously that's a huge part of opening a new shop is the physical location of where it is. What factors are you looking at? So Broomwagon approaches you. Hey, we're selling our shop. 
outside of staff, which is an incredible way to approach it because that's like makes or breaks coffee shops. But it, in terms of like the location and where it is and foot track it, the traffic, are these things you're evaluating or did this shop have enough of a reputation and customer base that that wasn't so much a factor? Yeah, I mean, um, I think growth in any coffee shop or restaurant or cafe is, is going to be linear when you're talking about a brick and mortar store. Um, the way I approached it over here, um, this shop has been in existence for two and a half years. I knew from experience in my downtown location that that year three to four to five is, is where the real growth happens. Um, granted that COVID did throw some things off this year with anything typical, but um, I, I knew it was the right time in the life cycle of this shop that that we could still experience growth if we got into it and um i think in the past if if i were around 20 years ago owning and operating a coffee shop it might have been based on more traditional metrics of like traffic patterns and uh demographics of the particular area but in the age of the internet where anybody can find you from anywhere and by googling or literally putting you in a map, <laughs> yeah um you you can really put a place almost anywhere and as long as you're willing to work in that place day in and day out and like i said impress every single customer who walks in that door and be very approachable to to anybody uh you can you can make most locations work and that's really interesting to hear because the Starbucks, it's like it has to be at the perfect location for it to work because nobody will go out of their way for a cup of that coffee. But with great coffee, it's like I find myself, I'll drive 20 minutes out of the way if it's my only option to get a really good cup and I'm in the mood for a really good cup. How's it been in the transition of here with like the existing customer base and explaining what's going on as you purchase a new shop? And now uh, what's it like to kind of educate the customer base that it's like, hey, we're still... Is it going to be broom wagon moving forward? Or are you going to pivot the branding? How do you approach that as you purchase a new shop? I, I think openness and transparency with the existing customer base goes a long ways. And just sort of allowing them to share in the experience. Because my intention is not to shut this place down and roll out a bunch of changes. It's, it's going to be sort of piece by piece by piece. And um, we'll rebrand it at some point And put a slightly different aesthetic to it and bring in our own coffee. But uh, these first two weeks have really been an exercise in getting to know the customer base and um, getting to see what works with what they were doing, what doesn't work. Uh, we've reconfigured a few pieces of the bar to allow for better flow and stuff like that from an operations standpoint. But um, overall, we just want to make the customer base feel like they're they're partners in change with us and with aesthetic and flow where do you pull these ideas from is this something from experience that this is what you prefer or is there like a resource that you're going to of like this is how we like to organize things in terms of flow and aesthetic uh i guess where like where do you come up with these ideas of how things should look or feel when you walk into one of your shops yeah as, as far as like the bar flow and stuff like that that is something that i've gleaned from nine years of operating coffee shops um i've i've learned over time that the less amount of steps i need to take behind a bar like the the more volume i can do um and so it it's really an exercise in optimizing bar setup for for flow and at the end of the day like if if my bar is set up well 
I'm not going to feel quite as tired at the end of a shift, um, and neither are my baristas. So uh, it makes it makes life a lot easier from that perspective. Um, as far as aesthetic goes, I I can't really claim uh, to be the aesthetic brains of the business. Uh, my my business partner Jamie is uh, that that is his niche, and he's really talented at. Uh, he loves to brand stuff. He loves um, how the look and feel influence the atmosphere, uh, how music influences. He's, he's all about set and setting and um, figuring that piece out. I would say it's so key in business. So like if you have business partners or people you're working with, that there's like this role specialization that happens because when two people are passionate about the same thing in a business, like rarely works because then there's like this conflicting opinions about anything and everything. Yeah. Has it been what you expected? So nine years ago, you go, I'm going to open a coffee shop. Has it been what you expected? And would you do it again? <laughs> <laughs> so that, that, those are, that's two questions there. But yeah. um, I think I was, uh, I'd, I was ignorant enough to start the place. Uh, and I think that was a good thing, that, I'd, that I didn't know everything that I knew now. Um, because I, I might have been more risk averse. Uh, we were very fortunate to start the coffee shop when we started it, it. Looking back in retrospect, it was like a great time in 2012 to to open a coffee business. And things were sort of just getting back on their feet after the, the 2008 crash and job losses and all that stuff. Um, and smaller mid-sized cities were starting to, to pump up at that time. I can see all that stuff in retrospect, but going into it, I had no clue <laughs> Those trends were happening, um, so I, I was. I was there, there is a luck component to it. Um, so, would you do it again? Would I do it again? <laughs> um, it, it has been very rewarding, um, and the reward in this business for me is the uh, relationships that have been created through it. Um, one of the cool perks to when I moved to Charleston, didn't know anybody. Hmm. Opening a coffee shop is the best way to get to know everybody in the city because, like, people are coming in for meetings and uh, you you get to know like who's who and like what they do and uh, they become friends after a while. So it, it's been a really cool experience in creating relationships in a place where where I had none. Um, so that's that's been the most rewarding part for me um and that's translated to the wholesale side of the business like i i I can go into most restaurants now and they know who i am and uh they they want me to try something new on the menu and it's it's i always feel like a kingpin when i bring (laughs) family out to restaurants or uh friends who are in from out of town it's a it's a it's a cool thing being the coffee guy it's always never a bad thing that's that guy yeah and that's what i say is like this podcast especially is like my selfish motivation to just be able to meet really cool people because if (laughs) i just emailed you and was like hey you want to sit down with me and you'd be like i just opened a shop two weeks ago can you please leave me alone (laughs) i really appreciate you spending the time yeah absolutely killer cup of coffee i'm gonna grab some beans to go for sure uh let's see what question do i want to oh here here we go if you could only drink one preparation of coffee for the rest of your life, so one brewing method, this will be the last question here, what would it be and why? 
I am a big fan of the Kalita waves. Um, that's how we do pour overs in all of our shops. Uh, it, for a pour over device, I find it to be um, the most forgiving, but also you can really dial it in well. Um, we've sort of come up with our own method for, for doing pour overs, which I feel leads to like a super consistent extraction process and um i still even after nine years of of doing this enjoy like the ritual of doing a pour over in the morning and getting my day started like that well i really appreciate you taking the time i'm sure it was a little weird when i emailed you eight times of hey can we please sit down and do a podcast but i think you have a killer coffee program i love what you're doing it was awesome to read all the articles about second state originally black tap and everything you're doing out here uh, I lied. I do have one more question because this is what I always love to do when I visit a new city <laughs> is I find the best roaster or coffee shop. And then I ask them if I could only eat at one place and if I could only drink at one place, where should I go while I'm in town? All right. Well, Charleston is sort of it's become foodie Disney World. So people come here for <laughs> for the best experience in whatever type of cuisine they're looking for. Um, so. I know I'm going to leave people out of this list if I mention just one place, but I, I do have a handful of like... Let's being, go a handful then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Being in the low country, um, seafood is, is, is a big can, thing. Can you define that for my Minnesota brain? What is so, low country? Yeah, seafood in the low country is, is really about shrimp. Um, but there, there are some like local catch options that are excellent as well. Uh, the ordinary tends to be the, the most highbrow seafood place in town, which is doing local stuff. Uh, but if you want the, the or, ordinary, yeah, the ordinary that's in downtown, it's in an old bank building, um, excellent service, top notch dining quality. Uh, but if you want a true, like low country, seafood experience there's a place called bowens island it's on the way to folly beach and uh it's essentially a giant screen-in porch next to a dock where the shrimp boat comes in and they just do fried shrimp they do oysters in the winter time um and it's just a really cool spot to sit see the sunset and what was it called Bowens Island Restaurant. Bowens, can yeah, you spell that for me? <laughs> yeah, it's a family restaurant that uh, has been around Bowens. for 20 to 30, maybe longer, um, 20 to 30 years. And it's just a really cool setting. Um, but there, there are so many good restaurants in Charleston. Uh, 167 Raw is a, a big favorite of mine. I love Salbao Biscuit. That's a cool little Asian fusion place that does uses low country ingredients. Uh, so th those, those are a handful of my favorites, but I would be remiss to say that there are many that I'm leaving off that list. Um, and I put you right on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and then as far as drinks go, uh, this is the, there's a cool, there, there's some cool things happening on that front. Uh, there's a, there's a great distillery called Highwire Distillery that's use, utilizing a lot of uh, the local heirloom grains that are grown here in the Low Country to make their mashes for for distilling and to they make an excellent gin and uh, they're they're playing around some with some cool other spirits. Um, and those are utilized in a lot of the bar programs in the city. Uh, Gen Joint has been like a long-standing like uh, prohibition era style <laughs> uh, cocktail bar. And um, but there are several other cool places uh, to to grab a, a nice cocktail. 
Awesome. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate the time. I'm super paranoid. This is my first time doing an actual interview with this. I recorded a solo episode. I'm like very paranoid that it's not recording right now. It's got the red light going, so I think it is. <laughs> I think we're good. Yeah. But really appreciate the time, uh, especially opening a shop two weeks from now. You're, you guys are killing it out here. It's so cool to be out here in 70-degree weather having a cup of coffee with you. Uh, if you ever end up in Minnesota for some weird reason, obviously you can hit me up. But awesome. I'll end it like I do every other episode and say have a nice day.